Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Good morning. I'm Matthew, and I'm going to be reading the uh, ESV translation, Acts 2, 41 through 47. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You may be seated. Thank you, Matthew. Our text aligns with what we are doing this morning. We have often heard in the telling of tales, and then what happened? What happened after that? We've been looking at some tremendous passages of Scripture as we've been tracing God's story through His Word, centering on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Last week we noted that on the day of Pentecost, the Shekinah glory, the glory of God returned to the temple, and the intent was to see the vision that God has for creating is now being fulfilled. It's going from Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost regions of the world. And then what happened? The Spirit of God has come. So what has happened? How do we trace all this through the biblical text? We began in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where it said that Adam and Eve were entrusted with the command, the privilege, the opportunity to till the soil, fill the earth. They were to subdue it, to have dominion over it. We traced it all the way to Psalm 22, where we saw how God rules over the nations. We've noted Isaiah 11, where it says that the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Well, then what happened? We then have Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13. Then what happened? He ascends to heaven. We have, actually, I put those in chronological disorder. It's Matthew 28, then Acts chapter 2 with the coming of the Shekinah glory, and then what happened? Well, our passage today, chapter 2, 1 through 13, tells us what happened after the coming of the glory into the temple. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is that the global spread of the glory of God, that's what's happening, it's beginning in Jerusalem, going through Judea, Samaria, as we trace it through the book of Acts, it culminates in Rome, it reaches to the ends of the earth, But how that happens is that the global spread of the glory of God is seen in the global spread of the church of God. So as churches are planted, which is the focus of our missionary activity, the planting and pastoring of existing churches and the planting of new ones, but as that goes out, the glory of God is spreading. We begin in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 with the Shekinah glory re-entering the temple, and then we have Peter explaining to us in verses 14 through 41, he explains what just happened, and then we have this birth of the church 
in chapter 2, 41 through 47. And then we have a repeating pattern beginning with the Apostle Paul in chapter 13 where he starts planting churches. But what we see inside this passage is that the global spread of the glory of God is seen in the global spread of the church of God. And that's what we will consider in our study for this morning. What just happened? When we look at our passage this morning, what just happened? Something significant happened in chapter 2, 1 through 13. The glory of God returns to the temple of God. Peter explains what happened. And then we see the functioning church. That's what happened. That's what has happened. But let's break it down. There are two primary ideas that we'll be considering this morning. If you look at chapter 2, Peter has explained to his audience what just happened. And in verse 37 of chapter 2, it says, Now when they heard this, his audience, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men, brothers, what should we do in light of what you have just said? What should we do? And Peter, verse 38, said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's saying that in light of what just happened. 4, verse 39, The promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly bore witness and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this crooked generation. And then notice verse 41. So then, in light of what he has just said, they responded to the message. And it says in verse 41, so then those who have received his word were baptized. And that day were added about 3,000 souls. That same idea is then what ends in verse 47. The Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. He describes something significant that happens in the first part of this paragraph, in the first part of this chapter. How do we get into this kingdom, this garden that's being described? How do we participate in what God has done? He's fulfilling his vision. So how do we as individuals participate in this event? Notice three things that are stated inside our text, beginning in verse 41. It says, those who have received his word... The King James translates this, gladly received. There's a textual variant within the manuscript. But the idea is that they've welcomed the word. They've welcomed the word. In fact, the word received inside of our text is a compound word. It is a prefix that's attached to the word, which intensifies how they received or welcomed the word. It's only used twice in the New Testament, both times by Luke. Once in Luke and once in Acts. But it is used, the word itself is used often as a non-compound word for receiving or welcoming. And you see that in the book of Acts. We don't have time to explore all of the passages or all of the verses, but it says that those who heard the word welcomed it. They received that word and made it feel at home. And that's the idea inside this text. The words preached and they welcomed it into their lives. They accepted what was said concerning Jesus. And not only did they welcome it at the front end, but they kept welcoming it. In verse 44, it says in our text, and all those who had believed and were continuing to believe. It wasn't simply a one and done action. They continued to believe, to persevere in their believing. But notice then what happens to those who believed. It says that they were baptized. Those who believed were baptized. 
The word baptized means immersion. It means to place under. It does not carry the idea of sprinkling or dabbing. It's the idea that you are fully immersed under the water. Many of us perhaps came from a background where we were sprinkled as infants, but the word itself means to immerse. If the New Testament wanted to use the word sprinkle, it would have used the word sprinkle. But we immerse. And why? Because we believe the New Testament uses the idea of placing under and then coming up out of the death, the burial, and then the resurrection of Jesus. Those who believed were then baptized. I am convinced it is impossible to read the story in Acts and not conclude that water baptism by immersion follows believing in Jesus. Those two ideas are inseparable and sequential. The one precedes the other. Thus, in the New Testament, during this time period, if you believed, you were baptized. I found it interesting. The country we prayed for, it said that believers were hesitant to be publicly baptized. And why? For fear of death. And I think that is a legitimate concern. But in our context, I'm old, and I've never lived a day in my life thinking that if I got baptized, I would be killed. You and I, as the people of God, if we have believed, we should be baptized. Baptism follows believing, and that's what we see the pattern inside the book of Acts. We don't have time to look at all the references, but it's easily done. If you read the book of Acts, you see it saying those who believed were then baptized. But notice something else that happens. Not only did they believe, they gladly received this word, they welcomed the preached word by Peter. Peter preached a Christocentric message. The vision is fulfilled. Peter shows how that event in chapter 2, 1 through 13, fulfills Joel 2, 28 through 30. He then turns to Psalm 16, Psalm 110, and he proves that it's all about Jesus. He preaches that message to his audience. His audience gladly receives, they welcome that word. As a consequence of believing, they are then baptized. As a consequence of this baptism, notice how it ends. It says in verse 41, And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. That's an absolutely incredible statement. You think, well, how in the world did all those people get baptized at one time? Oh, it must have been a sight. It must have been an absolute sight. But it says they were added. Luke dominates the usage of that word in the New Testament, both in his gospel and now in the book of Acts. And often it is referring to people being added to the church. The consequence of the vision of God being fulfilled leads people believing, then being baptized, and then joining the gathering of like-minded people. Those 3,000 people were joined to the 120 that were spoken of in chapter 1 in the book of Acts. The consequence of the vision is believing, being baptized, and being added to the church. In our context, we do have a formal way of membership, but we believe that we can, without that membership, still openly identify with a local gathering. That's what happened. It didn't have people in the New Testament believing and not being baptized. It didn't have people being believing, being baptized, and then not aligning or joining or participating in a local gathering. That's what the early church did. And I asked myself the question, well, what happened? Where did this pattern stop? 
Why is it that we can comfortably believe and then not be baptized or not align or participate in a local church? What happened? If the biblical pattern is that we believe and then we are baptized and then we align or participate in a local gathering, where did we somehow break that pattern? We need to ask people be baptized. We need to first believe, then be baptized, and then be added to the church. Why? Because the global spread of the glory of God is seen in the global spread of the church of God. It keeps spreading out. Where does it begin? Jerusalem. It reaches out and through Judea, Samaria, ultimately to the ends of the earth. So the first thing that we see as a summary of Peter's preaching is that people were being saved. Those same people being saved were being baptized. And those same people who believed and were baptized were then added to the church. Somehow there was this alignment with that gathering. This is a consequence of the vision of God being fulfilled. The next paragraph, the next thought, 42 through 47, describes for us what that looks like. What does the glory of God spreading to the ends of the earth look like? And we see that in our passage. It looks like the following six things. If you look at verse 42, it says in verse 42, and they were, those who have been baptized and added, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And then notice the way that the language is being played out. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Some translations simply say, and to prayer. But it's very intentional when it says, to the prayers. A specific season or time period of praying. It identifies four marks or four characteristics of those who have gathered. I would suggest to you that there are two other things taking place in addition to the four. So I will simply note six things as we work through the passage. And what I'm wanting us to see is that the global spread, the global spread of the glory of God from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost ends of the earth is seen through the global spread of the church of God, of the church of Christ. We see that taking place. And there is an intentional connection between the first part of chapter 2 and now the latter part of chapter 2 that we are considering right now. There are four distinct marks. I have added two, and I trust that it will bring a degree of clarity as to what is happening in our passage. But notice it says in verse 42, And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were taking place among the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 46 says, And daily devoting themselves with one accord in the temple, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. The first qualifying element of this vision being fulfilled is that they were devoted to gathering. I think we can always make a strong case that we are to gather as the people of God. That's why we are here right now. There is something about coming together as the people of God that is natural to those who believe in Jesus. You know, our hearts pain for those who, because of persecution, cannot gather publicly. Or if they do, it's in secret. 
but we can publicly gather as the people of God. It's what draws us. The gospel draws us together. Many risk their life and limb to meet in secret, knowing if found out they would face severe consequences. Our passage notes two places. First, the temple courts. I personally believe that the early church in the first century continued to practice what was going on in the temple courts. And there were three distinct periods, and we'll note that in a moment when it talks about to the prayers, the morning, evening, and afternoon prayer time that took place in the temple. You see that in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. But the early church continued to exercise themselves in the structure that they grew up in. They were present at the times of public worship. When the church gathered, when the religious activities were taking place, they were found there. But not only did they gather in the temple courts in this public expression, but also house to house, the private. Many would tell us that the church or the true church is a house church, and I would suggest to you that where the church gathers is secondary to the gathering itself. You cannot have what they had without coming together with other believers. They were gathering Meeting in one's home or in a larger structure or in a field by a river or under a tree really matters little. And this is what takes place in many countries. It's not the package, but the content. And that's what identified them as the church. It says that they devoted themselves to these things. And I would extend that idea of devotion to the gathering itself. They were committed to those exercises. The second thing then we see, not only is the church characterized as a place where a gathering happens, but they were continually devoting themselves to the apostle teachings. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go and teach them, teach them. The gospel creates a people hungry for the word of God. The word teaching or doctrine is this word didache. It's a common word which refers to a body of teaching. It occurs eight times in Matthew and Mark, three times in John. Luke uses it five times. It says in Luke 4.32, and they were astonished at his doctrine. In our text, chapter 2, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In chapter 5, verse 28 of Acts, it says, and they were accused of filling Jerusalem with the doctrine. In chapter 13, verse 12, they were astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. In Acts chapter 17, verse 19, may we know what this new doctrine is. The apostles brought a body of information, a body of doctrine. Paul speaks of a doctrine set by a body of information. It refers to this body of doctrine as sound. The author of Hebrews equally contrasts sound doctrine with strange doctrine. There is orthodoxy and there is heterodoxy. Most of the letters written to churches or pastors address doctrinal problems. The doctrine is qualified as that of the apostles. We know that when the early church gathered, they were devoted to the gathering, and they were devoted to teaching. Christocentric teaching reveals God's glory. That's what Peter did. For thousands of years, the people of God have sought to know God through the word and to show God to the world. And we do that through the teaching. And this has been and continues to be our quest of being a teaching church. So we see the vision fulfilled. We know the glory of God is spreading. How does it spread? Well, it appears to be spreading through the church. 
These people were devoted to the gathering. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The third thing we see, it says not only were they devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. I've noted together two words, fellowship and generosity. When you read this text, it simply tells us of this partnership that the people had one for another, this love that they have one for another. In fact, this word, which many of us know, the word fellowship, koinonia, it's only used twice by Luke. In chapter 5, verse 10 of Luke's gospel, he says that James and John partnered with Simon Peter. And then in our passage, Acts 2.42, it uses the word fellowship. And then when you read 44 through 45, it talks about these people bringing all this stuff together and having it in common. But it says that they used what they had to meet the needs of people. That's fellowship. That's what it looks like in real time. How do we minister one to another? That's what characterized the gathered people. They were devoted to the gathering. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And they were devoted to fellowship and generosity. The idea of fellowship and generosity are nurtured and celebrated in the womb of the local church gathering. Here's what we do one toward another. The fourth thing that we see concerning this gathering is the breaking of bread. It says in verse 42, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and then to the breaking of bread. Some would suggest the meal is what happens in the home. A large part of why we have various ministry platforms is to celebrate this idea of sharing a meal together, of participating one with another, of having life in common. Whether it is our quarterly family game nights or family camp or small groups, all of those are expressions of this idea. And yet it's saying something more than simply having a meal in common. I think because of 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 22, I think it's referring also to the meal that would precede the celebration of the Lord's table. They were coming together and celebrating the Lord's table. We have now shaped the Lord's table and the idea of water baptism following believing as two ordinances. An ordinance is an opportunity for us to confess faith through this physical act. It's a statement, I believe. When we are baptized by immersion after believing, it is a physical, visible sign to those who are present that we believe in Jesus. When we partake of the elements, we are saying we believe in Jesus. Thus, as a church, we believe that both water baptism by immersion, following believing, and the celebration of the Lord's table are these two ordinances. I do believe that they are symbols, but we do benefit from participating in them. There is something spiritual that ministers and feeds our souls as we participate in these activities. There are reasons as to why one might not be physically present for the gathering, but if possible, every effort should be made to attend and to participate as a family in these things. So we have seen that as a consequence of the vision being fulfilled, you have this expression found at the end of the chapter, which will, in the book of Acts, be described as church. A church is a place that is devoted to the gathering. The believers come together, those who have been baptized, and now they are added to this church. We are devoted to the gathering. We are devoted to the apostles' teaching. We are devoted to fellowship, to mutual generosity, to serving the needs of the people. We are devoted to participating in the ordinances, in the breaking of bread. 
The fifth thing noted in verse 42. It says to the apostles, teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. I believe that 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 does literally translate what exists in the manuscript. It has the idea of the prayers. And most people identify the prayers as the Jewish practice of daily prayer, which was morning, afternoon, and evening. They would come together. They still were doing those things. They would attend to the activities of the temple. Prayer so populates, and if we had time to look at all of this, prayer so populates the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts that it is impossible not to run into it. Luke describes Jesus as an individual of prayer. Jesus was someone who went to morning prayer, afternoon prayer, evening prayer. Now, I, I sometimes believe we, we say, well, we can only pray. We, we mystify prayer, and I'm one that wants to demystify prayer. I've told you, and I often say, you need to see your story in light of his. You are living in the presence of God. You're living in the presence of God. Every time you talk to yourself, now I don't address myself as Lord or God, but every time I talk to myself, I believe that God is a part of that conversation. He's not outside that. He's in that conversation. When I'm walking, when I'm thinking, God is a part of that When we gather as elders and we go over the directory, we are praying as we go over the directory, as these names come to mind, as needs are made known. We are praying. But we do have definite periods of prayer. We pray during our church service. It is why we, when we come together, we pray. There are those occasions when we do pause and audibly pray. But I believe that we are not so far removed from God that we are not consciously in the presence of God and thus we are praying. What's interesting in Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to. Well, the word devoted has this idea of continuing. And oftentimes the word devoted in the New Testament says that they were devoted or continued in prayer. Paul says in Romans 12.12, rejoicing in hope, patient, and tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, being devoted to prayer. Colossians 4.2, continue in prayer, being devoted to prayer. He will often tell us, pray without ceasing, and we think, well, what does that look like? And I believe it's living in story. It's being mindful of the story in which we exist, and we are simply communing with God on a regular basis. I know all of you share the experience when you wake up at night. Well, at least the old people do. When you wake up at night, you are praying. You are praying for the various needs that are pressed on you. You pray. And then when it says in our text, not only were they devoted to prayer, but you have this element of praise, of worship. It is not hard to read this passage without thinking of the overall temperament of the group that gathered. There was this genuine joy in verse 46 and satisfaction in meeting. It wasn't simply the idea of church, but with God and the gospel, they came together and rejoiced as a family of families. So we come to a gathering like this. We sing songs of praise and worship, theologically rich songs. We examine a text. We see how the first part of Acts 2 and the last part of Acts 2 are indeed connected. As the global spread of the glory of God goes out, it is seen through the global spread of the church of God. And that church looks a certain way. And when the church gathered, there was a genuine joy. They were glad they were here. 
And that joy was contagious. It was infectious. People saw that and they marveled. The final thing we see inside our text is this divine addition. It says that God added, God added to his church. And it's interesting, the, the tense usage of adding is an imperfect tense, which simply means it's something that had happened and was continuing to happen. God added and is adding. And you think about it, and I've mentioned this already, how I believe that the tone of the New Testament in the book of Acts is that God is winning. When we talk about missions, well, God is winning. The church has gone global. We are praying for the persecuted church in regions of the world where it is oppressed. But the church is present. And it is a global church. And God is adding to his church such as should be saved. Our paragraph in Acts chapter 2 begins and ends with a statement concerning divine addition. Often we look at growth as something we do rather than as something he does. But God alone grows his church. You know what happens when we try to grow the church? Things go horribly wrong. We start thinking we need something more than what we have. You know, what if we put someone younger in the pulpit? Is that going to attract more people? Don't answer that. You know, but what if? Do we think that the word clearly or simply taught is attractive enough? Well, we do if we believe that as the people of God, God has been adding us to his church, and those who come are devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, generosity, loving one another, to the breaking of bread, celebration of the ordinances, and to the prayers. We take prayer seriously. We gather as the people of God in an intentional way. Why? Because the global spread of the glory of God is seen in the global spread of the church of God. And that is the pattern we will see in the book of Acts. I I look at the church. We we, we identify ourselves, uh, right or wrong, as an independent church. We are self-supporting, self-propagating, self-governing. And we have a tendency to simply see ourselves as a self-contained unit. Like it's all about us. But it isn't all about us. There's really only one church in Waukesha. It's, in a sense, splintered by geographical locations, but there's only one church. And not only is there only one church in Waukesha, but there's only one church globally. And we together are seeing and experiencing the addition of God. God is adding to his church. As leadership, we are mindful of these six ideas, and and we summarize often those ideas with our four platform, our four core values, Christ-exalting, word-centered, grace-based, global-impacting. They've also been condensed to the idea of worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism. How do we as a local church celebrate these things? Each one aligns with these things, and these platforms are the way that we carry out our DNA. One of our challenges we have is to read this passage and ask, is this normative or simply narrative? Is this what we are supposed to be as a church? Or is it something that we can take it or leave it? Is this what we are to do? Or is this simply recording history? Well, a primary means of establishing its normative nature is noting the context and then the entire pattern found throughout the book of Acts. 
But I would argue that this isn't something that we try to do. It's simply something that is done. It's a fruit of believing the gospel. We want to gather as the people of God. We want to study the apostles' doctrine. We want to live lives of generosity and fellowship one with another. We want to be a part and participate in the breaking of bread and the witnessing of water baptism. We want to come together and pray for one another. It's what we want to do. Why? Because the Jesus seed produces this gospel fruit. It's what happens. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is that the global spread of the glory of God that we have now noted in chapter 2, 1 through 13 is seen in the global spread of the church of God. It begins Acts 2, and it's going to be extending all the way through the book of Acts. Now, let me note five, what I think are short thoughts. Notice the priorities of the church. You have this event take place in the front end, and then it's expressed at the back end. We do not create these platforms. They are the consequence of the global spread. They are a consequence of the gospel. Now, they become our priorities, but we know that they are the fruit of the Spirit. It would be horrible to have a church that does not adhere to the apostles' teaching. It would be horrible to be a part of a gathering where there is not genuine fellowship or care one for another through gifting and generosity. But these are the consequence of the gospel. Notice also the effect, number two, it had on the surrounding community. John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Is it possible for those who visit with us in our gathering to see our love one for another. One of the worst duties you can have at Waukesha Bible Church is to shut off the lights and lock all the doors. And a reason is, and it's a joyous reason, I'm being sarcastic, people like to visit once they're here. They just stick around. And let me encourage you to stick around. If you have kids, get them. But let me encourage you to stick around. The surrounding community saw this infectious joy in the gospel and for one another, and they took note. Thirdly, believing in Jesus, being baptized, and openly identifying with a local church are non-negotiables as to the Christian life. This is what it looks like. Faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. Those who believe are then baptized, and they are added to the church. They participate in this gathering. I would always encourage those who have believed and have yet to be baptized to be baptized. And if this is your first time here and you have believed and are baptized, I would encourage you to find and identify with a local church. Become a part of that family. Number four, I am always amazed and saddened by many sincere believers who serve Jesus but will not align with a local church. Sometimes individuals think, well... There's none that suit me. There's none that fit me. Well, perhaps the problem is the me. As a pastor of a church, I would always caution you with aligning and sitting under someone for spiritual instruction who is not actively participating in a local church. 
and under the direction and oversight of the church. And why do I say such things? Is that all found in Acts chapter 2? And I would say, well, not all of it, but we still have a few more studies in our series. We'll walk through Acts 13. We will then go into the epistles to Timothy and Titus. And then finally, many churches can be more than this, but no church can be less than this. This is a consequence of God's vision being fulfilled. And this is what he does. We will continue to tease all this out in the coming studies. But the local church, as described here, and then throughout the book of Acts, is indeed a non-negotiable consequence of God fulfilling his vision. And what we see throughout is that the global spread of the glory of God is seen through the global spread of the church of God. Please stand with me as we close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have as your people. You have made it possible for us to be here physically present. There are many people who cannot be here, and Father, we pray for them. We ask that they would be encouraged. We know that their heart yearns to be a part of the presence. Father, we ask that you administer to them in special ways. But we have gathered this morning not because we think we are sufficient in ourselves. We know we have no power outside of you. We gather because we know we can't save ourselves, but only you can, and Jesus did. We openly declare in the presence of both men and angels that Jesus alone saves and that his name alone is great. We put our entire weight on the cross. All that we are has died with him. We acknowledge the working of the Holy Spirit who opened our hearts and minds to receive the person and work of Jesus. We fully acknowledge his work of baptizing us into the very body of Jesus. Jesus is for us our identity before you, Father. We know because of our union with him we walk in newness of life. We fully confess that you are Yahweh, the one who does indeed sanctify. We know we were created with need, and you are the only one who can fill our need. Guide our thinking so that we see how your glory spreads globally as your church makes disciples of the very nations that you rule over. May the shadow of our existence never eclipse the reality of the substance. We have come here and we ask this through the advocacy and intercessory work of the Son and Spirit. Amen.